Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And we'll start this week, Justin, in the Premier League, and we'll go to the first big result of the weekend, which in the title race, of course, was Liverpool beating Newcastle by one goal to nil. An unlikely source, Nabi Keita, was the one who actually scored the winner for the Reds. Um, but there was a bit of controversy. Newcastle were not happy about no foul being awarded by uh, for James Milner's tackle on Fabian Schar in the buildup. Did you think it was a foul, Justin? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, Milner won the ball clean and then came through Cher afterwards. Uh, he was already on the ground. Cher came to ground as well. It's unfortunate coming together, but not a foul uh, when Milner won the ball. Had he not won the ball, yes, it would have been a foul, but uh, he he did in that case. Um, so not, not a foul, but Newcastle, I mean, really continuing to show uh, their strength because we talked about it last week, how they've been incredible in 2022 and nearly were able to find a way to get, uh, you know, points against a Liverpool top team. So very impressive. Yeah, I agree. It's not a foul. Um, you know, if anything, it's a foul on Shar because Milner wins the ball very fairly. And then Shar kind of clatters into him. Although, you know, maybe he came off the worst out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a relatively stout performance from Newcastle, but at the same time, um, Liverpool probably should have had more than one goal. I mean, 10 shots on target, 24 shots, 67% possession. So yeah, obviously we know Newcastle are no pushover anymore. Um, but it was still a performance that I think merited the three points for Liverpool. And, and that goal was clean. There was nothing wrong with it uh, as much as it pains me to say. <laughs> pains me as well. I, I wish that uh, Liverpool would be dropping points right now. Well, something that definitely does pain me is, uh, and probably you as well, is the fact that Jurgen Klopp has now signed an extension through to 2026. He's not going anywhere. Um, obviously, there's still a few question marks hanging over Pep Guardiola and whether he will be staying at City or not. Although I think it seems more likely that he stays now than it has in the past. Either way, we know for sure now Klopp will be staying at Liverpool for another four years at least. Um, it's big news for them. Absolutely. Uh, as you say, I think a little bit uh, less sour for me than you because I mean, nobody wants to just walk the league. There's no fun in that. You want some competition, oh, right? <laughs> so, so no, it'll, it, it's, it's good. I mean, this is great for Liverpool. Obviously we know what Klopp has done since he arrived at Liverpool really turned them around. Um, we heard that ridiculous character quote all, uh, earlier that y- you quote tweeted on Twitter, I believe with a clown uh, yeah. gif. That was ridiculous saying that Ten Hag has uh, an easier job than than Klopp did when he uh, got the Liverpool job. Look, Klopp had a lot of work to do uh, and did it to, I mean, essential perfection, right? I mean, he has turned that team into one of the best sides in the world, if not the best side in the world. Um, But Ten Hag has a lot, a lot harder job to do. Uh, But yeah, but yeah, uh, as far as how it affects Pep, I think that Pep's likely to sign an extension, which didn't look likely previously uh, in the past couple of years. It, it had been thought that he would leave soon. Uh, but I think that Pep, that Klopp signing extension is one thing that will influence him to stay. And I think the other thing is if City are able to bring in Holland, he will want to develop him. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of the way that Klopp kind of turned Liverpool around, one of the main signings through which he did that was, of course, Mohamed Salah who this week was named the Football Writers Association 
player of the year. What's your take on that? Do you think it was deserved? Um, who do you think, it, you know, pretend Salah doesn't exist, who would you have given it to, uh, like, for second place? Well, yeah, I think that the real debate is between Salah and De Bruyne, in my opinion, um, to the two best players in the league this season. And I think that Salah winning the, what is it, Football Writers Association, that then uh, I think that Kevin is very likely to win PFA for the third year in a row and become the first player to ever win it three times straight. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I just, that Kevin really wins that award because it, that one is voted by the players, right? And they recognize just how incredible what Kevin does on the pitch is. And for some reason, they don't rate what Salah does uh, quite as highly, it seems, uh, as maybe the football writers and media do, which is definitely interesting because uh, I don't know the reason for it. Honestly, I don't agree with you. I think that Salah is going to win PFA player of the year as well. I mean, he's doing what Kane did last year, which, uh, by the way, how Kane didn't win anything last year is ridiculous. But Salah currently leads the league in both goals and assists, 22 goals and 13 assists. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous numbers considering we still have, what, four games left for Liverpool, I believe. Um, so I, I, I would be surprised if De Bruyne won it, especially with the fact that, you know, he's been – battling against some injuries this year his numbers haven't been quite as high obviously still still 11 goals in the league which is you know no laughing matter but you know he's not in the top 10 for assists this year um you know and you know a lot of that is just the fact that he hasn't had super consistent minutes and obviously when he does play everybody knows that he's you know probably the best midfielder in the world even now but I think I would be shocked personally if Salah didn't win PFA player of the year yeah, I think that – fair argument, but uh, I think people were surprised De Bruyne won it last year, and he has pretty similar stats uh, this season to last season. Uh, basically has flipped goals and assists, so more goals this season, fewer assists, whereas last season more assists, fewer goals. Um, but very, very similar stats. Salah's stats probably a little bit better, so maybe that, that could be the difference. Let's move from talking about De Bruyne and City and Liverpool. Let's move to the other side of Manchester um, as just before recording this, actually United's game against Brentford uh, went full time. They picked up a three nil win over the bees at home against old Trafford in potentially Cristiano Ronaldo's last game at old Trafford, but most definitely Rolf Ragnick's last game as United manager at old Trafford. Um, so we obviously we've been talking about 10 hog does have a much harder job than, than Klopp did, as you say, but the some of the big news this week was that Ragnick has also uh, been appointed the manager of the Austrian national team. Um, and obviously the entire plan when he took over as interim, the middle of this season was that he would move to a consultancy role next season. Justin, do you think that his job in Austria now will impact that? Do you think that um, he should pick one or the other, that he should leave United? Um, just what are your thoughts on that decision in general? Well, I think it's interesting, right? Because when we think of, you know, oh, Ragnick will be a consultant. That's a pretty broad term. We don't know exactly what that means. To me, uh, I think he's going to be one of the most important people at United. So not necessarily uh, just like a, a fringe consultant that people would think. Uh, he's obviously the manager now. That's He's not going to become all of a sudden uh, fringe. He's going to be one of the biggest people uh, making decisions with Ten Hag uh, and the director of football and just... I think that it's going to be a little bit distracting potentially because most 
international managers are scouting their, you know, potential players throughout the club season. I mean, as you watch the Premier League, you see Gareth Southgate in the stands constantly uh, at different games, checking out his his English talent and seeing who he wants to bring in. And that's what Ragnick should probably be doing as Austrian manager, but he would be uh, taking time out to to deal with United. And so it has to split his time, whether he uh, believes it will or not. I somewhat agree with you, but I honestly don't think his role at United is going to be that important. Uh, they've appointed John Murto as their director of football, and Darren Fletcher has actually been moved to technical director. Um, I think there was some news breaking this week about Matt Judge, who was their director of football negotiation, resigning um, basically in tandem with the Ten Hog signing. I'm not sure if he was against that or what the conflict was there, but Matt Judge has left. Um, but I mean, with a football director and technical director, and then, you know, if they potentially replace the football negotiations to me, that just sounds like they'll be asking Ragnick, what kind of players do you think fit the identity 10 hogs going for? Um, and so it doesn't sound like to me, he's going to have that big of a role. And so that's why I think, okay, it kind of makes sense that he can do both of these jobs because, you know, as much as you say, oh yeah, they're at the games watching the players realistically, although it is a world cup year, so that changes things a bit, but Austria is obviously not in the world cup. Um, you know, I still think he'll have time to help United when they need help, which is going to be pretty much in the transfer windows. If my estimation of his position is accurate, um, then he should have time to do both of those. And I think that since he's going to just be a consultant, he's not a director, he's not on the board or anything. I, I really don't think it's going to make that much of an impact on whether Ten Hag's successful or whether Murto and Darren Fletcher are successful in their positions on the board. Yeah, and moving from the uh, front office of, of Manchester United onto the pitch, the best player for the past few years for them has been Bruno Fernandes. And today in the Brentford game, he scored his 50th United goal. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, this season for Bruno, uh, how he's been fitting into the United side and how he might look under Ten Hag? I mean, I think it's, you have to say that it's a disappointment this season from Bruno. He just really hasn't been what he was when he first arrived at the club, obviously came in January a few years ago and absolutely hit the ground running since then. Um, and we know that he has loads of ability. He is a great player, but this season has been a big struggle for pretty much everyone playing for United. Um, you could say Cristiano Ronaldo aside, considering that his production has been quite ludicrous, considering how poor the team around him has been and the fact that he's, what, like 37 years old. Uh, so that's a bit nuts, 38 even now. Um, so, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Ten Hag getting the best out of Bruno is going to be one of the first items on his checklist when he comes in, finding a, a better role for him because – the way Ragnick has been wanting to play this year just hasn't really fit, been fitting Bruno. Um, and we know that when he was in the 4-2-3-1 under Solskjaer, you could say the beginning of this season aside, he was deadly. Um, and he was their best player, as you said, for you know you'd, probably the year and a half he was at the club before the beginning of this season. So I think this season has been a disappointment, but I still think he has a very important role to play for United going forward. Yeah, I think that obviously the numbers have dropped off this season. Uh, I think that's partly, partly as you say, Ragnick. And uh, he, under Solskjaer, right, he was the focus. He was – the system was built around him. He was in that 10 in the 4-2-3-1, as you say. And 
that allowed him uh, a lot of freedom and uh, ability to drop deeper and uh, create play through that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of green grass in front of him. If he picks up the ball at, you know, the top of the circle and then he's driving uh, that, that is where Bruno thrives. But I think that if you don't build the entire system around Bruno, he's not the the same type of player. And that's what we've seen this season. So I'm curious to see if Ten Hag decides that it's it's in his best interest to build an entire system around this player, or should he find a way to fit him in uh, around an entire system that, because Ten Hag likes to play a system rather than, than you know, rely on a single player that um, is the, you know, catalyst for their team. So, that that is the question for me. I mean, you've seen it with Bruno at Portugal. He's not the focus, and he's not even a starter, in my opinion, for Portugal. Do you think if Ten Hag decides not to build the team around him, that we might see Bruno getting a move at some point? I think that it's unlikely because Bruno has a few years on his contract, and he loves United. It seems, but if Ten Hag can't find a way for him. I mean, look, he still has what 10 goals and six assists this season. So it's, he's still contributing even when he's not the main guy, but it's just that he doesn't fit the system. He doesn't excel when he isn't the main guy, when he isn't the focus. And so I still think he's going to be able to contribute, but there's going to have to be other focal points in the Manchester United team besides him when Town Hall comes in. And I think that United will do that in the transfer market. They are ready to spend and they are going to bring in probably eight to 10 players uh, this summer and let go just as many. Yeah, they have a lot of players coming to the end of their contract. Obviously, we know like Pogba might be going to Paris or Madrid or somewhere like that. Um, It's definitely going to be a lot of overhaul. And I actually think that's a good thing because I think Ole and and Ragnick have kind of been stuck with some players that they probably, you know, didn't really want. Um, And so I think Ten Hag kind of needs that clean slate to be able to come in and really do a full squad overhaul, which is what I think United need. Uh, And with that, Justin, we can pivot towards the bottom of the table. Um, The relegation battle as interesting as ever. Firstly, we can talk about Burnley who picked up a miraculous comeback victory at Vicarage Road. Um, With that result, Norwich City officially relegated, surprising absolutely nobody. We all called it at the beginning (laughs) of the year, didn't we? But before we talk about that a little bit more, on the topic of Burnley, obviously without a a, permanent manager at the moment, but there have been some rumors, Justin, of your former club captain, Vincent Company, coming to Burnley. What are your thoughts on that? I think it'd be fantastic for him, right? Currently he's at uh, Anderlecht in Belgium, uh, which is, he's been succeeding there doing very well. And I think that Burnley would be a good uh, spot for him because obviously it comes back to the Premier League, some uh, a league that he knows extremely well, having played in it for a decade. And uh, now he has, it would have a team that is defensively sound, which obviously he wants to focus on. Obviously Burnley have been a very defensive team uh, throughout their time under Dyche, but he, company will allow them to expand um, because he obviously, you know, played under Pep. He, he gets the expansive brand of football, but he's also a defender at heart. So he will have that Burnley um, idea in his head of, you know, we're going to be strong. We're not going to concede, but he will also allow uh, the, his attackers to attack and play some nice football, which I think could be a good progression for Burnley. 
Yeah, and obviously it still remains to be seen what league they will be in next season, but considering how they're playing at the moment, um, they are the least likely of the three teams left in relegation contention really to be relegated at the moment. And uh, the 538 stats back that up, which we can talk about a little later. Uh, Let's go back to Norwich, Justin. What is going to go, like, how are they ever going to establish themselves in the league going up and down and up and down? Because every time they've come up, I think it's three times in a row now, they've gone straight back down on, on the bottom of the table. Do we, do you think we'll ever really see Norwich as an established Premier League side in the next like decade or so? I mean, it depends on one thing really. And we've seen it. If you come up to the Premier League and you don't invest and you think that you're just going to play with a similar side that you played in the championship, you're going straight back down. And that's what happens with Norwich city constantly. They have a good side in the championship. It, it either wins a championship or finds a way up. And then they don't invest and they go back down. If you want to stay up, you need to invest. We've seen it uh, in the past few years. Wolves did it a little bit ago. Uh, it Villa recently, Brentford have invested more. Uh, we, if that's the way that you have to stay up, you have to spend money. Otherwise you have no chance. If you spend money, you still might go down. That's the risk. But if you want any chance of staying up, you, you have to spend money. Yeah. I mean, they spent under, 60 million in in this summer window and when you think about the fact that they sold their best player Emiliano Buendia to Villa for 35 you know that's a net transfer spend of of 20 million pounds and when you're coming up from the championship yeah that's just not going to be enough is it especially when you know it's not like they changed their playing style at the beginning of the season under Farca because you know, they played a very open attacking style in the championship and they had the quality to get away with it and not, well, not even get away with it, but they ran the league, they destroyed it, but then jumping up to the primary league, they can't play that way. And so then they don't have the personnel to play like a Burnley to play a really compact tight at the back kind of style, which if you are a team coming up from the championship, unless you're wolves, you know, with super agents and players way too good for your team, like Ruben Neves, you're going to have to play a practical style to stay up. Um, and they have failed to do that over and over and over. Obviously, Farka finally left. It will be interesting to see if Dean Smith stays with the club, which I honestly think he, he will in the championship next season. We'll see how they do. Um, but, I mean, yeah, just talk about the epitome of a yo-yo club. Absolutely. And continuing with the relegation battle, All I have in my uh, schedule for this podcast is Everton mate in all caps. Tell me about it, Garrett, your club. I mean, it was, it was a must, must win game. Um, Obviously no one expected us to get anything out of this game against Chelsea who, you know, although they've been struggling as of late, they have over twice as many points as us. Um, they are the reigning champions of Europe, you know, pretty much opposite ends of the spectrum from the way Everton have been playing this season. But even before the kickoff, I mean, the scenes at Goodison Park were just unreal. The, the reception for the team coach, Goodison Road, absolutely full, blue flares, smoke everywhere, singing. All right. I mean, it was just incredible. And we saw that during the game. We saw that after the game um, with the celebrations. Before I go talk a a bit more off the pitch, on the pitch, I mean, it was a gritty performance. Um, Obviously, the goal coming from Richarlison being opportunistic and running his socks off and just stealing the ball off Asper Laqueta and and slotting it past Edward Mendy. And I think the crazy thing is that, you know, we know how much Richarlison loves Everton, Justin. We talk about it a lot. 
think about it this way. He's been playing pretty much first team football for two years straight. Cause he didn't get a break over the summer. He played in Copa America immediately went to the Olympics. One gold was the top scorer at the Olympics. And then as soon as he got back to England was in the Everton starting 11, the first week of the season, literally like five days after he got back from the Olympics. And he's been playing pretty much every single game since runs his socks off every single game. And his pure desire is what got him this goal. And in the end, what got Everton three points, obviously I would be remiss not to mention Jordan Pickford having the game of his life. Um, Incredible performance from him. And I think it's, we have to finally put to rest this reputation of, oh, he's only good for England because it's nonsense. Like, yes, he had a, a rough start to last season, but over the past 15, 16 months, he has been Everton's best player, undoubtedly. Um, and, you know, he is the reason that we picked up three points in this game. Some unbelievable saves. The one on Aspilicueta on the rebound from Mount Shot, insane. And then from the resulting corner, makes himself big, takes a Rudiker blast to the face, gets up and, and you know, completes his clean sheet for the next 30 minutes. I mean, incredible from him. Um, and so that was the on-the-pitch stuff. Just off the pitch, you know, I said the scenes at Goodison were amazing and Goodison Park at its best, Evertonians at their best, is football at its best. Well, I enjoyed that spiel. Uh, it was obviously a massive win for Everton. Uh, as you say, Richarlison just loves this club. And what's amazing to me is he hasn't had a great season, right? He has underperformed, I think, to everybody's expectations. But recently, when Everton has been in this relegation battle, he has played his best football of the season. Undoubtedly, he's been uh, just all over the pitch and as well finding ways to uh, get goal contributions. It's great to see. And then, as you say, Pickford, I... I've never understood why people think that he's only good for England. I think that, you know, maybe it's because he gets more clean sheets because, okay, they have a better defense and they're a better team. And so obviously he's going to get a higher percentage of clean sheets and Everton are going to concede more goals. But when you look at the the saves he makes on a regular basis, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. There were at least two world-class saves uh, in this Chelsea game. I think that the one where he went down to his right uh, near post was, I just think an underrated save. People aren't talking about it enough. That was, just incredible reflexes to me. I don't know how he got down there. Um, but yeah, a massive uh, for Everton and for Chelsea. I mean, it's not that big of a deal because they are, are basically locked in this third spot. It's very unlikely that they go anywhere uh, out, outside of the top three. Um, so it, it's not a big loss for Chelsea. The premier league doesn't really matter. Their, their only focus really is the FA cup left. Um but on the topic of Chelsea, I think that Mark Pulisic put out an interesting uh, tweet uh, about his son, Christian Pulisic, uh, earlier this week. Garrett, I think you have that for us. Yeah, I do. He said, the sad thing is he loves this club, teammates, and London, puts his heart and soul into being a pro. Onwards and upwards, my boy, big six months ahead, obviously referring to the World Cup coming up uh, towards the end of this year. Um, and so, Justin, just my kind of question around this is, do you think Christian Pulisic has been misused, mistreated at Chelsea? And, you know, maybe even more so, do you think he should be looking for a move away? Yeah, uh, simply put, yes, he should. He is uh, a fantastic player. He has the number 10 at the club for a reason. Um, but 
under Lampard, it just never worked out. Lampard didn't trust him enough, and the system didn't necessarily fit him. He is a winger, preferably a left winger. Um, And then in the Tuchel system, I thought when Tuchel came in, it would be a, a great uh, change for him because Tuchel at Dortmund when when Pulisic was very young obviously in his first uh, years in Europe he was that that was when Pulisic thrived was under uh, Thomas Tuchel at Dortmund so when he came to Chelsea I thought oh well they already have a relationship they're one of the few players that that already has a relationship with Tuchel he should be a, a locked starter and Tuchel should know exactly how to use him in order to get the best out of him Instead, Tuchel plays a system with absolutely no wingers, which is where Pulisic plays, and tries to put him in this, uh, you know, double ten role behind the striker. It's just not where where Pulisic likes to play, and uh, it's unfortunate as far as his love for the club. I, I couldn't agree more with Mark. Obviously, he knows more than me, um, but he, I mean, we've seen pictures with of Pulisic and Mount as children in their Chelsea kits, so he's uh, loved this club since a child. Yeah, I agree with you. I also think that he's been totally misused. I think Tuchel has not been great for him. You say it didn't work out under Lampard, but I think, honestly, the best football of Pulisic's career came in Project uh, Project Restart when he was absolutely on fire. And that's what prompted Chelsea to give him the number 10 for the next season when Eden Hazard left because you know Pulisic was playing left wing every game and he was scoring goals for fun, obviously, you know, at the beginning of COVID. But since then... You know, Justin, he's made 34 appearances this season and Chelsea do sometimes play with wingers like they did against Everton uh, this weekend where it was Werner who started on the left and did absolutely nothing. Pulisic in his 34 appearances has played left wing two times this season, Justin, twice. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know what else to say. He's played his preferred position twice in 34 appearances across the whole season. If that doesn't scream you need to go somewhere else so that you can develop, play your best football, be ready for the World Cup, then I don't know what else does. Do you have any ideas of where he should go? I don't know. I mean, do you think he should stay in the Premier League? I feel like the Premier League is still a decent fit. He has the pace and, and the technical ability for it. I just don't know if Chelsea is the right spot. Um, I'm not sure if moving to a club, you know, maybe with not as high expectations would be good for him or bad for him. So honestly, I I couldn't tell you a landing spot right now, but it just doesn't feel like Chelsea is the right place for him. Yeah, I think that that is a consensus uh, among at least U.S. fans uh, at this point, if, if not Chelsea fans as well. Before we move, Justin, on to the Champions League semifinals, which obviously some amazing action, let's just do a quick update on how the relegation battle now stands with both Burnley and Everton winning. Leeds United are now projected to be the most likely team to get relegated by 538, which is crazy. It's been flip-flopping so much. Shock results going on everywhere. Um, but Leeds, their their fixtures coming up are not good. They have Arsenal, Chelsea, Brighton and Brentford um, and it's definitely going to be an uphill battle battle for them obviously Burnley and Everton are still far from safe but uh, Leeds United who we thought Jesse Marsh had gotten them out of the picture have been sucked right back in now with both Burnley and Everton picking up form and Leeds have been unable to do anything obviously got smacked by your Manchester City at the weekend so just a quick update on that Justin and then what do the top four uh, statistics look like because we saw that both North London clubs were finally able to win on the same day for once uh, 
this Saturday or was it Sunday? Sunday. Um, and Tottenham got the 3-1 win over Leicester. Arsenal 2-1 win over West Ham. So finally, they they both seem like they actually want this fourth spot for once. Uh, we've been talking about how they've been playing hot potato with it all season. What do those stats look like from 538? So right now, obviously, Chelsea are still over 99% uh, to finish in the top four. I think the, the right now they have a 7% chance of finishing fourth. So it is still possible that one of Arsenal or Tottenham could jump them into fourth. Um, that was like 1% or into a while third, rather. Ago. Yeah, it was, but Chelsea keep losing. <laughs> and they <laughs> were losing, they're losing games that this projection w- would expect them to win. In terms of just top four in general, so although it is possible that Chelsea finish fourth and one of Arsenal or, t- or Spurs finish third, right now it is at Arsenal at 71% to qualify for the Champions League, Spurs at I'm not sure why it says 30. It should be 29, but I guess maybe that 71% is rounded up. Um, So it is still in Arsenal's hand. Obviously, they have the two-point lead. But as I've said, this could flip entirely with that North London derby, which is at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, So I still think that's what it's going to come down to. And all those clubs are fighting for what Manchester City, Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Villarreal have right now, and that is the Champions League semifinal. Uh, the first game of this Champions League semifinal came on Tuesday. It was Manchester City and Real Madrid. I mean, what an incredible game that we had on our hands. Simply put, was this the best Champions League semifinal first leg we've ever seen? I mean, there's no chance I'm going to be able to think of a better one off the top of my head right now. I mean, what a game. It looks like, you know, less than or just over 10 minutes in that, that this was going to be a blowout, you know, city getting on the board twice, very early Kevin De Bruyne in the second minute. And then Gabriel Jesus with a lovely turn and finish. Um, But I think we should have probably expected that Real Madrid wouldn't go down without a fight. It was that man, Kareem Benzema, of course, getting on the score sheet to make it two one Phil Foden had a goal then to make it three, one Vinicius junior though. Oh man, that turn on Fernandinho and the finish brilliant from him and then Bernardo Silva made it 4-2 back and forth but a handball was called in the box Benzema steps up Panenka's the penalty I mean the the balls to do that man crazy Ice cold um and it ends 4-3 in the first leg Justin insane match of football a pleasure to watch um but in terms of the second leg how do you feel about this obviously it's a victory for Manchester City only a one goal margin. It could have been more. It could have been less, obviously. What's kind of your take on this heading into the second leg uh, this week? Look, all I will say is that, first of all, it, it's it. I'll take the result, right? Uh, for Manchester City, a one goal lead going to the Bernabeu is definitely access, acceptable, but it could have been better and it should have been better. And that's, that's the issue um, because Manchester City had just had so many chances uh, because just running through Real Madrid for the first little bit of the game, um, it, it evened out, obviously, once Benzema was was able to find that goal in the 32nd. Uh, and then, yeah, as you say, that that goal from Vinny was ridiculous. His turn on Dino's. But to me, that's not even Fernandinho's fault, that goal. Uh, to me, it's it's Laporte's fault because he, Fernandinho, I mean, got left at, at midfield. There's no chance that the that Fernandinho is catching up to Vinicius. There's just, I mean, no, think about no. that. That's 
but but you should know that as a center back when you have a right uh, Fernandinho playing right back and you know that he's outpaced by Vinicius by twice the pace right so there's no reason for you and then he just kind of stays in the central when when Vinny's running down the wing he doesn't go towards Vinny which is exactly what he's supposed to do as a center back and just lets him run straight on goal I mean he, there's no once he's passed for Nadinho he doesn't have to deal with another defender which Laporte needs to cover and then obviously Laporte was uh, to blame for the handball but uh but as, as far as yeah the second leg I just want to say that this would never happen. And to me, this is why it's the best Champions League first semifinal first leg ever, because this would never happen if the away goals rule still existed. Manchester City would not play this open. Real Madrid would not be able to score three goals at the Etihad uh, because it would be too dangerous because then they only need to win one nil. Uh, at their home stadium and they advance. So the, doing away with the away goals rule has made Champions League so much better. And this is a perfect example why. Just quickly on Fernandinho, I, I wanted to mention, I, I thought it was quite funny to see him running down the, the wing, beating a defender and then crossing it into Phil Foden of all people to head home. That goal I just found was very funny. Beautiful. It was beautiful, but you don't expect... Fernandinho to, to be going all Vinicius Fernandinho the, the modern fullback it. come on <laughs> and Phil Foden with a Benzema-esque finish off the noggin but yeah you, you say you say you can't expect Vinicius Jr. to, to or uh, Fernandinho to catch Vinicius Jr. rather I mean yeah I mean Fernandinho could practically be Vinicius's father literally <laughs> not even a joke um, but yeah he it's just to me that's that that's Laporte's fault as somebody who has played right back and center back uh, throughout their playing time. It that is Laporte's fault for for not covering Fernandinho. He had thirty yards to recover uh, and just stayed in the middle of the field for some reason. And then Justin moving to the other semifinal, not quite as entertaining. It was Liverpool hosting Villarreal at Anfield, of course, picking up a two nil win. Uh, Villarreal just kind of holding on for dear life. The vast majority of this game, mm. 26% possession, one shot, zero on target. They, they were not able to score with their one shot like they did at the Allianz <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and Liverpool picked up a deserved lead going into the second leg in Spain. It was an Estupinian own goal in the 53rd minute, which opened the scoring. And just two minutes later, Sadio Mane making it two for Liverpool. I mean, we all kind of expected this. Um, I think Villarreal, honestly, the, the damage could have been a lot worse. They still have mm. a chance, but I mean, I, I think we can expect we'll be seeing Liverpool playing in the Champions League final yet again in a few weeks time. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Garrett. I think that the first goal, Villarreal in the first half were, were pretty stout and, you know, that's how they play. That's how they're going to play in this in this tournament because that's how Unai Emery sets them up against uh, teams that are just a higher level than them. Uh, but once that first goal went in and you thought, oh, okay, that's probably not great. And, and the second one immediately after it makes it uh, the tie pretty much gone because at 1-0, I mean, losing 1-0 at Anfield and taking it back to Spain is not horrible. That That is definitely recoverable, and I would say Villarreal still have a chance, but at 2-0, it's uh, very unlikely. And then, Garrett, moving from a Champions League semifinal to a Champions League final, it is the CONCACAF Champions League final uh, between Seattle Sounders and Pumas. Uh, this was in Mexico in the first leg. 
uh, it was a really eventful game, wasn't it? Because it started off, you know, Pumas were the better side in the first half, uh, undoubtedly, right? Especially in the beginning, um, they were awarded a penalty, which Dinero uh, dispatched in the 38th minute. The first one, Stefan Fry saved, uh, but he came off his line. It was a very questionable penalty call, but that was the story of the game. What was questionable penalty calls because the only way Seattle got back into this game uh, was Raul Ruiz Diaz drawing a penalty from a handball in the box after he had missed a sitter, by the way, uh, which he, he had to have buried. Um, and so it was, it was two nil. Uh, by the time that Seattle were able to get on the board because Dinero had a, another goal, with which was a beautiful header to start off the second half, uh, which was interesting because, you know, Seattle's best time of the game was right before and after that half, um, which is ironically when Pumas got their two goals. So uh, it, it looked really bad for Seattle going into the end of the game, but Ladero, uh, two penalties. He's now 23 of 25 on penalties in his career. Uh, so great for him and setting, sending it back to Seattle at 2-2 uh, is really set Seattle up well because I said earlier that Seattle haven't struggled in this, in this competition. And even if they did struggle, I think that they would find ways back. And that's exactly what happened in this game because they struggled and yet they found a way uh, you could call it snatching. You could call it shite house. I don't think it was because they played well. They deserved uh, to, to get on the score sheet outside of the penalties. But as I said, Rui Diaz missed a sitter. They missed a couple of chances. Uh, but 2-2 heading back to Seattle, we both have predicted that Seattle would win this tie and become the first MLS team to win the CCL. I think that that's still likely to happen now that they uh, are, are sending it back to Seattle level. And, uh, and they are hyping this uh, as the biggest game in Sounders history, essentially in Seattle right now. So I think it will be- you Of know, course, the of course. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be the highest attended uh, Sounders game potentially ever. They are going to sell out that Lumen Field probably. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest games in MLS history, surely. Right? Well, I it's mean, not I, an MLS in Seattle. Game. No, no, but, in the, but just for the league itself, for American soccer itself, you know, they have this. Yeah. Part, you, you, don't, you don't get a better opportunity than this, right? They didn't need to go into Mexico and win it. They put themselves True. in a great opportunity where they basically have a single game cup final at home to, to win the whole thing. I mean, I, it's a pretty ideal scenario, honestly, for them. Um, obviously, you know, you could say if Rudez doesn't miss, they have a lead. But, you know, no MLS club has really been this close to it, uh, you could argue. You know, I think there's no excuses for Seattle not to win this. I think we both predicted we both want it. And hopefully that's what happens. And with that, Justin, we can move elsewhere in the MLS where I think the biggest headline potentially was Nashville SC finally getting to play a home game this season. Of course, in the brand new stadium, Geodis Park, they picked up a 1-1 result against Philadelphia. But I think regardless of that, it was just great to see that beautiful new soccer specific stadium, which with a 30,000 capacity is the largest in North America. Absolutely. As you say, uh, this, it's just great to see uh, the progression of football in the United States because Nashville has a great fan base, as you say, and they finally get their own stadium now uh, to call home, which is just fantastic there. They had their own supporter section of uh, freestanding supporter section, which is great to see the more of those in the United States that we have the better. Uh, and luckily they didn't have to take the L at home because 
you, Philadelphia got the first goal in the 66th minute. You thought, oh, no, Nashville are, are going to have to lose in their first game. But a late penalty from Randall Leal in the 85th minute got them the point. Uh, great for them to see. And not only that, but they had a big week just overall because they also signed their star center back, uh, Walker Zimmerman, to a DP extension. So he's going to get paid. Uh, which is, I don't know if he should be going to Europe or, or not, but he, he's deciding he's rather just going to get paid in the United States uh, in MLS and, and stay here. And they also signed Honey Mukhtar, their star, to uh, a contract extension. Um, so both of those will be around 2025, 20, 2026, 20, uh, which is great news for Nashville and the future of this club. Brand new stadium, two stars locked in for the years to come. Uh, it's looking bright for Nashville SC supporters. You know, I'm fine with that decision by Walker Zimmerman. Um, I think they've got something good going on in Nashville. As you said, very important player. And it's not like him staying in MLS and likely dominating MLS because we know he's one of, if not the best center back in the league, is going to impact his chances with the USMNT. We know that that Burhalter doesn't have a problem with calling up players from the MLS and giving them very consistent game time. Um, so I, I think it's smart. I mean, he has, there's no reason for him to kind of uproot his career. And if he can dominate MLS for the years to come, which I think he probably will, then, you know, I think it makes sense. And obviously it makes sense from Nashville perspective, because it is two of the best players in the league who they now have locked down. They have this brand new stadium, a ton of momentum for this club. And then another club that is doing some big transfer business was Real Salt Lake. Uh, they got, Anderson Julio on a permanent transfer. Now he was obviously on loan. Now it's, it's permanent. So a good signing for them. Uh, he got, I think 10 goal contributions last season for them. And then uh, reacquiring Jefferson Saverino from Atletico Minero for a, a MLS high price of, of $2 million plus uh, 500 in incentives. That's, that's a high price for MLS. Uh, we don't usually see numbers that big. Uh, and that's only for 80% of the player because Atletico Mineiro would, would retain 20% for a sell-on fee uh, for any future transfer that uh, Jefferson Saverino would make. That Atletico would uh, get 20% of that fee. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good signing. You know, he was with RSL for three seasons and he had 21 goals and 21 assists in 82 regular season appearances. That's solid numbers. And that was back then. He was a young DP for them. Um, you know, joined the club at like at 20, I believe. Um, and now he's 25. He's developed a bit more. Obviously, he hasn't quite kick, kicked on in Brazil as he would have liked to. And that's why he's coming back. But for MLS standards, he's still a very good player. You know, that price tag is pretty similar to what they sold him for. Um, although it is high, that kind of just indicates it indicates that the quality of the player. Um, I would be not shocked at all if he came in and hit the ground running and, and immediately became one of RSL's best and most important players. Absolutely. Could, could be uh, for that money. He should be right. Um, but an another one was Colorado selling this time because they just got uh, Jesse Zardes right now. They let go of Andre Shinyashiki, uh, sold him to Charlotte for uh, 225 up to 400 with incentives. Uh, but yeah, it it's interesting to see these uh, because we see like, transfer market values they they have Severino at over eight million nearly nine million uh, they have Shinishiki at over three million but 
these are just the, their numbers for MLS are just inflated because they don't realize uh, the, the difference in MLS money wise. Yeah, because right, this is a, a GAM transfer, 225,000 mm-hmm. plus 175 in incentives, all in GAM. Um, I mean, it's a decent signing for Charlotte, I think. Obviously, Shin Yashiki, uh, former MLS Rookie of the Year. Uh, he was a high pick in the Super Draft. He's one of the best kind of products we've seen come out of the Super Draft in, in quite a while. Um, and yeah, as you said, with Zardes coming in and with Diego Rubio playing really well, uh, Shin Yashiki just hasn't really gotten a, a look in much time on the pitch for Colorado this season. And Charlotte could definitely use some help up top. You know, Svidersky has been scoring like all of their goals. So uh, some forward depth, I, I think it makes sense for both parties. It's a good deal. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say is I think that uh, it, giving him Svidersky a partner up top is, is going to be really helpful. Shinichiki's numbers have never been impressive, right? He's never had the, the, the past two seasons. He's scored four goals. Uh, which is just nothing much. He has won so far this season in eight games, uh, which is why Colorado are, are fine with letting him go. But I think in Charlotte with us, Federski, they could make a, a nice partnership with two weird sounding S last names. And then one more club, Garrett, uh, making some moves in MLS. It is Chicago Fire. They have brought back uh, Chris Mueller to MLS. He, he had left uh, Orlando about a year and a half ago and Orlando will actually receive some GAM and other assets for for Mueller's MLS rights which is an interesting MLS rule that we're learning about uh, would not happen in other leagues but since he was uh, in MLS and was tried to sign by an MLS side but not actually signed and went to Hibernian uh, he's still his, his rights are still owned by Orlando City so they will receive some kind of uh, payment for that but otherwise Mueller will be headed to Chicago Fire, which will, uh, I think, be uh, good for them. I'm not sure if Shabilko is injured or what. He wasn't in the squad this past weekend. Uh, so uh, another striker there to help them out and give Shakiri some help to pass to. Uh, and then reports that their their biggest player, uh, well, besides Shakiri, of course, but their their biggest prospect, let's say, uh, in, in Gaga Slanina, Fabrizio Romano has reported that it's not only Chelsea in the race for him, but many other uh, European top clubs are, are trying to sign him. And then there was another less credible report, obviously, that said he has agreed to a, a Premier League side, a top Premier League side. So we really don't know. I don't know what the situation is with even Chelsea trying to sign players right now, because with their whole ownership deal and the the sanctions that have been placed by the UK government, but uh regardless i think you know maybe it's possible he comes to manchester city maybe i can float that because uh already they like you know american goalkeepers there's already one there who's considering leaving uh whether permanently or on loan this summer maybe you bring in another american goalkeeper to replace him yeah uh, maybe not just because the zach stefan experiment i guess you could say at least as of late, hasn't worked out that well. But personally, Justin, I don't really think now is the right time for Slovenia to be moving. That's just my personal opinion. I think he just needs more consistent first-team football and going to a big team in the Premier League. He's just not going to get that unless he you know, gets put in the Chelsea loan carousel or something. So honestly, if I were him, like he's he's 17. Like Especially as a goalkeeper, career is so long. I don't think he should be rushing in at anything like this. That's just my opinion. Yeah, that, that's a totally logical take. I think that uh, it's possible, you know, he gets put in that Chelsea loan system, as you say, if Chelsea are uh, 
uh, somehow able to pull this off. But I think, you know, also maybe uh, it, it's a signing where they, they sign him, but they leave him in Chicago for, you know, the rest of the season or something like that, because we know uh, he's been talking about how he wants to set records this season for Chicago. So uh, maybe, maybe a, a Julian Alvarez situation, like, like what Manchester city are doing there. And then Justin, I think we just have to talk about hashtag league of bangers because there were some incredible goals in MLS yet again this week. Um, and you know, the, the primary one we have to talk about, it was Sebastian Ferreira scoring an incredible goal from midfield in the Texas Derby against Austin, although they would go on to lose, but you know, obviously Ferreira, the most expensive signing in dynamo history. And, and that goal kind of shows you why that quality. I mean, it's just an insane strike surely has to win goal of the week, but the poll is out right now, Justin, and it is way too close. Way too close. Look, Darlington Nagby had a ridiculous volley. This is a, a really nice full volley from just outside the 18. But, I mean, is it better than scoring from midfield? No. Look, look, should should the keeper, I think it was Stuver because he got subbed out, um, but he uh, was just way out of his goal, right? Try, trying to play out from the back way, way too high up. And so Ferreira had all the space in the world to – uh, hit that goal and he nailed it but Darlington Nagby is just not better I, I don't even know if Darlington Nagby is better than Drew goal because Drew was a banger who by the way is leading the MVP race um, I, it's just League of Bangers but yeah Ferreira is, is the best but League of Bangers because there's just so many goals uh, each week I mean but speaking of Ferreira, Jesus Ferreira he scored an incredible goal this week as well wasn't even in the voting because there's too many other ones yeah, and there was a different one from that game, uh, the Dallas versus SKC game, because one of his teammates scored a banger from a free kick, um, you know, kind of from a, an acute angle. It was Alan Velasco uh, who, who scored that one. But yeah, I mean, this is four goals in, in the voting where you could have five or six because there were just some phenomenal goals all week. But yeah, I mean, Ferreira, just an incredible goal um, and surely has to be the goal of the week for both of us. But Justin, as we speak right now, Ferreira with 30.2% of the vote, Nagby at 29 and a half. It's You're telling close. me there's less, there's less than a percent. Set. I mean, Ferreira might not even win it somehow, which Look, would just be insane. All I'll say is that uh, Ishmael Tajiri Shradi was close early on as well. And then he pulled away late uh, when we were talking about that one a couple weeks ago. So I, I think maybe it'll, it'll be close for a little bit, but I think Fed will pull away in the end uh, because this, this poll will uh, has a few days. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see at the end. And then a team that we just have not been talking enough about on this podcast, in my opinion, uh, is the New York Red Bulls. They have tied a record with the <coughs> Carson galaxy uh, for most away wins to start a season with five. I mean, New York Red Bulls just, you feel like, I mean, cause in MLS, right. Going away from home is probably the hardest thing. The easiest way to predict who's going to win is who is at home in the MLS. That's how, uh, you know, com congested of a league it is because there are, you know, any team can beat any team on any day. And so that's why if you're at home, you are likely going to win unless you're a, a really bad team playing a really good team. Uh, and so that's why it's so impressive what Red Bulls have done. Five away wins uh, to start the season Give me your thoughts on this. I, I mean, this is really, really impressive in my opinion. 
I mean, they started that uh, against the Quakes, I believe, and, and they ha- were banged up. They were missing a lot of players, and they've still just been able to get it done. I mean, just some standout performers for them. Klimala has been fantastic so far this season. Um, you know, it, it's really, really impressive. The Lewis Morgan signing, I think, has been fantastic for them as well. Obviously, we knew he was a good player from his time in Miami, but now he's put in, been put into a team that actually has a chance to succeed. Uh, mm. so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And, you know, I think we were both relatively high on, on New York this season, maybe not this high, obviously, but you know, yeah. we knew they would be, they would be a playoff team, but you know, a, a start this well, it's surprising and obviously historic. Absolutely. is. um, it, it's, it's really good to see because they haven't been, you know, competing at the top level for a few years now, but they, they're a club who should be up there. And just in the last part of our episode this week, we will move to your club, LAFC, because you had a very special experience this weekend at their game against Minnesota. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been, you know, going to LAFC games for a while now. I'm a big LAFC fan, but it's uh, it was my first time attending as media. Uh, so I, I've joined Area Sports Network. Uh, feel free to drop them a follow and, and keep up with my work, but it's, uh, it, it was great. I was able to, you know, be in the press box, go to the pressers and, and um, just experience the game from a different side. Uh, and so hopefully I'll be able to do that for the upcoming LAFC matches uh, that I'll be able to attend and get some, some good insight for us because uh, we want to just improve this podcast as much as we can. And, you know, moving up in, in our careers is how we can do that. Congratulations on that, Justin. Really exciting stuff. Um, and, you know, hopefully you'll be able to make the most of that. Maybe get to ask Terundolo some questions next week. That would be phenomenal. Unfortunately, I will not be able to attend the game next week. Uh, Philadelphia, I, I made plans months ago. I didn't realize. Um, but I will be at the, the midweek game next week against Portland in, in the U.S. Open Cup, which will be a great one. So hopefully I'll ask him a question then. That would be awesome. We'll definitely uh, include that in the episode from that week. But with that, thank you all for listening. That brings this episode to an end. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. And we have now begun posting on Instagram. We talked about making a, an account last week. So go ahead and follow us over there. It's U at U90FootballPod. Um, we've been posting some reels. And also, obviously, we'll make announcements about when new episodes are out. Um, So yeah, be sure to follow us on both of those platforms. And thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your week.